Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 212. Much has changed in the cruise industry over the past number of years, including how Royal Caribbean prices its cruises. The dynamic of how cruise lines price their product, plus the ever-present drive for guests to find a deal, go hand-in-hand with looking holistically at the price of a cruise. This week, we take a deep dive into the economics of cruise pricing and compare and contrast how Royal Caribbean and Disney Cruise Line price themselves, and how the price integrity policy on Royal Caribbean's part is at the heart of how much your next Royal Caribbean cruise will cost. Here we go. Royal Caribbean's made a lot of changes over the years, and its changing businessscape has forced and given the company the opportunity to make these changes that have enhanced or perhaps just improved things for the company looking forward, and one of which has been pricing. It's certainly a hot topic these days in the very, very red-hot cruise industry. And to talk about more how cruise lines price themselves and how Royal is positioning itself and other cruise lines as well, I brought on the knowledge base that is Len Testa, co-author of the unofficial guide to Disney Cruise Line 2017, which, by the way, has a phenomenal... Uh, forward by a certain blogger, I might say, Scott Sanders, obviously. And welcome, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the show. How's it going, Matt? <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah, there's a. I have on page seven, I believe. There's a nice little write up that they allowed me to put in there, and I completed my court ordered service. So it was win win all around. Exactly. Society wins. We all win. That's great. Yeah. So this is an interesting topic to talk about, and and I like this because it's a little out of our wheelhouse, out of the mm-hmm. day to day stuff. And it harps on, I think you probably picked up on the same thing, which is that there's been some changes in the cruise industry in terms of pricing. And Royal Caribbean fans know this because we're going to talk about something called the price integrity policy, which is something that uh, is at the core of what we're talking about. But in reality, this is a industry-wide movement, which is not terribly surprising. I mean, there's a lot of industry-wide things, although t- sometimes we tend to focus just on the on one particular cruise line. But Len, talk to us about the the impetus for this discussion. It was this. I was updating the unofficial guide to the Disney Cruise Line for 2018. And a couple of things that we do in that book are, one, we look at the prices for typical Disney cruises to places like the Bahamas and Alaska and the Mediterranean and Western Caribbean. We look at uh, how much that cruise would cost you if you booked anywhere from, say, 14 months to one day out. So if you booked your, if you got a price for your cruise, for example, at 395 days before your departure. What was the price then? And what was it at 394 days and 393 days and 392 days and so on, all the way down to literally the day before your cruise. Now, last year's edition, we noted that there were several instances where if you wanted a fairly expensive cabin, like a uh, Category 4A on Disney, which is the uh, Deluxe Ocean View uh, family stateroom with veranda, if you wanted one of those on a high deck, there were definitely instances where you would want to wait until the very last minute, like within 90 days of your sailing date to book, you would get the best price. The interesting thing that we found was that this year it was never true as far as we could tell across any cruise that we looked at. So uh, going further, the best time to book a cruise on Disney Cruise Line is today, no matter when you're going. The prices generally only go up. And that was astounding, right? Yeah, that's actually fair. That's what the recommendations I always give to folks about booking Royal Caribbean cruises. The earlier you book the cruise, odds are long term, the better your price is going to be. So I started looking at this to see if any other cruise lines were doing the same thing. And I actually found uh, Royal Caribbean CEO talking about the price integrity program. And that was uh, some fairly interesting background there because they, they apparently started it in 2015, right? Yeah, they started in 2015. And just some and, background. And, and, and they announced okay. it. They actually said, this is our strategy going forward. Yeah, it's 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 one of the nice things about Royal Caribbean versus Disney is, is Royal Caribbean actually shares their plans and what they're looking to do, and it's it's very much. And I think the reason for why they shared it is, first of all, this wasn't like this didn't make a blog post on their end or a uh, press release or anything like that. This right. is uh, this was announced by Royal Caribbean's uh, chairman and CEO Richard Fain during uh, investor calls uh, after mm-hmm. particular quarters. They would talk about some things and. Obviously, one of the things, one of the goals of that Royal Caribbean and every company always has is to make more money. And this was aimed at doing so. Basically, instead of the old days, if you go back, you know, five, 10 years ago, you would find a lot of last minute deals, you know, $99 cruises, right? And people used to, right. that always used to make the headlines. And the cruise I wanted to get away from that. And this is the rationale behind the program. This is Royal Caribbean's rationale, but I'm just 
I'm just putting it back first. It promotes higher guest satisfaction with the notion they don't have to worry that after they book a cruise, the price will drop and they'll end up paying more. And second, it ha- it leads to higher revenue for Royal Caribbean. And I think there's probably some truth to both sides of that, especially the second one, because Royal Caribbean just had its most profitable quarter ever. And they definitely attributed it to the price integrity policy, which is that uh, which which definitely box at the notion my father has always had when he goes to a restaurant 10 minutes before they're going to close. You know, you're going to have to throw away that food if you don't if no one has it. So I might as well take it off your hands for you. <laughs> you know, this idea that unsold cruise ship uh, rooms are are a waste. They they go to waste without somebody there. So you may as well sell them for dirt cheap in order to fill them up with the idea that people will spend money on board. But Royal Caribbean and clearly the rest of the cruise line is trying to move away from that for, I think, that, that rationale that I kind of alluded to. The thing that I love about this story is that Royal Caribbean actually lost money on this strategy yes. for two years because the crew, the people who took cruises or the people who were taking the last minute cruises simply didn't believe that Royal Caribbean would keep the prices going up. They actually banked on the fact that Royal or they, they banked on the possibility of Royal ultimately caving in on the strategy that they announced and Royal didn't. So what happens is those people didn't, those people who were waiting for the last minute fares who didn't get a last minute fare simply didn't book. And, and Royal says we lost revenue for two years because of it. But this year, as you noted, their, uh, their revenues up 10% because people now realize that they weren't bluffing. Right. There is the strategy. There are definitely some instances in which we've seen them clearly bend the, the policy, but in general, uh, yeah. plan, from a planning standpoint, from a betting standpoint, yes, yeah. they're absolutely holding uh, onto it, and it, it's it's paid. You know, well, I guess pun intended. It's paying dividends. Yeah. <laughs> so the uh, the interesting thing is, uh, so I looked at four uh, Disney, four kinds of Disney cruises. I looked at uh, all, and all of them, by the way, are two adults, two kids. Uh, so when we quote prices here, but um, but Disney is starting to exhibit the same behavior as Royal Caribbean, but Disney didn't announce the strategy ahead of time. But here's what I mean. If you look at, a, again, a, a deluxe family ocean view stateroom with veranda, uh, category 4A, um, and you booked more than a year in advance for a four-night Bahamian cruise, your average fare would start somewhere around $5,400 and generally would never get and, and would never get below that again. $5,400 for the uh, on a low deck uh, is the lowest price that that fare will ever be. It will eventually rise to just under... Right at $5,900. So it would go up $500. It's also true for the average and the most expensive cabin in that category. So the higher deck cabins. The price that um, that it is originally quoted at 13 months before it departs is the lowest possible price you would get. Now, within that, I mean, uh, within that, there's, there's some variation, right? So um, there is a slight dip in prices around the 120-day mark. But again, it's it's more expensive than had you ever – had you booked – 13 months in, in advance and the highest prices come within the last few weeks of, of departure. And that's on Bahamas cruises, which you would think are a commodity. If there's anything that's going to be super, super, super competitive, right. And, and would lead to discounting. It's that, and we don't see right. it. Right. And this is also, we should probably mention, I mean, a lot of this is a product of a red hot cruise market, especially here in North America. You know, you have, you know, this is playing perfectly into what the cruise lines want. They have high demand, and yep. they want to ideally, if you're going to book last minute, just like airfare, you know, you're going to pay a premium for it. If you wait to the last minute, because a lot of people, some, it's not everybody's waiting to the last minute. Some people just think, just don't think about it, right? Oh, I have vacation yep. next week. Where should we go? Oh, maybe a cruise. They want to get more revenue out of those people who are who are literally paying at the last minute. And this goes towards you know the idea of also getting people to book earlier. So hey, you know, from from the cruise line standpoint, oh. We've got this inventory accounted for. There's one less concern. We don't have to worry who's going to buy our, our products going forward. It's it's kind of a good problem to have, right? And in, in terms of uh, in terms of uh, extra revenue, there's no better example actually than the seven night Alaska cruises. Mm-hmm. And I'll, we'll we'll talk about what Royal charges for that. But let me give you some Disney prices. They start again for a category four A cabin, just under fourteen thousand four hundred dollars for a family. <laughs> <laughs> what? Now now Matt now Matt. You can actually – that's uh, – by the way, that's a year out. You actually get a tiny discount down to like $14,100 at 332 days. But from 11 months out until just before the cruise goes out, it does virtually nothing but go up. It ends – guess what the price ends at? For a, <laughs> a low a low deck category 4A cabin, $15,800. Jeez, that is – 
Wow. Well, <laughs> all right. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll talk about this. I actually do a price comparison uh, for all these cruises with uh, between Disney and Royal when we talk about this. But uh, but let's go over real quick Disney's pricing for Mediterranean. Starts uh, Mediterranean 7-night cruise next year. Again, same same cabin, same family size. Starts at just over $10,100. Actually drops. That's it. 15 months out. 14 months out. Actually drops slightly to $9,700 right at the 300-day mark. But after that, continually up, ending at around $11,000 for a seven-night cruise. Same thing on the uh, on the Fantasies Western. Uh, prices come out at about $9,800. Have a brief, brief drop all the way down to $9,400 oh. uh, at 11 months out. But then it goes continually up, uh, ending just over $10,000. For a seven-night Western Caribbean uh, cruise, so, so people hearing so people hearing this, Len. I mean, mm-hmm. you're what? I mean, what? Our advice is basically book 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 now, book now right? Book as early yeah. as you can. So we, we we give some interesting advice. One thing is we say we say is this, you know, across the cruise industry, at least for the next you know next year or the foreseeable future, the advice is if you want to go on a cruise, book now. You're probably not going to get a better rate. And the the, and the the other thing we tell people is this: look, the price for most of these cruises is going to vary by a couple hundred dollars. If you're within six months, do you really want to spend every day in multiple hours a day checking cruise line prices, looking for a tiny variation in those prices to save maybe a hundred bucks? The stress of that just doesn't seem like it's worth it to me. I mean, I know a hundred dollars is a lot of money, but in the overall scheme of things, is that, is that how you want to spend the next six months of your life? I think the answer is no. So book now is the option. But the other thing that we say is, is this, and this brings us to our, our other discussion. Royal Caribbean is, is a valid option on a lot of these cruises, especially if you've got older kids who aren't going to take care, uh, take advantage of the kids' clubs. So let's talk about some, some pricing here. Disney's average price for a four-night Bahamas cruise next June and July, June and July of 2018. Again, two adults, two kids. On an inside uh, stateroom. Matt, any ideas? Take, take a guess to the price. <laughs> <laughs> no whammies, no whammies. Big bucks stop at yeah twelve. Four four nights. Four, night, four nights. Uh, oh, four nights. In, inside inside cabin. Four inside night inside cabin. Four, four nights Bahamas. Family family four. Eight thousand. Fifty four hundred dollars. Oh, fun. I'm veritable steel. Oh, that's like yeah. Get, get guess how much it is in Royal Caribbean. Twenty four hundred. Nineteen hundred. Wow! Almost three cruises for the same amount of money. Same price. All right. Now, an outside uh, a balcony stateroom on Disney is fifty seven hundred dollars. On Royal, it is actually substantially more. It's thirty five hundred dollars. So, you know, there's there's still a twenty two hundred dollar difference between Disney and Royal for Bahamas cruise. And I gotta say, again, this is this is on the dream. I like the dream. I think it's a a very good ship. Um, My sense is basically. You could actually have a four-night Bahamas cruise on Disney or a seven-night cruise on one of Royal's very large ships, like an Oasis or a Quantum ship, for around the same amount of money. Actually, Royal slightly less. Uh, a seven-night Western uh, on Royal in a balcony stateroom is $5,000, which is cheaper than any four-night Bahamas cruise. Yeah, and, it's well, you pre- oh, you're appreciate the choir on that one. <laughs> well, yeah, that's kind of amazing that you could get a seven-night Western Caribbean cruise for the same price as a four-night Bahamas cruise, for less than and, the, the, yeah. Well, a- anybody who's going to co- who's going to counter that argument is always going to play the the Disney Magic card, uh, lowercase M. Um, that that I, well, it's I, not, I, it, I could uh, buy a magician don't... for four for two grand. <laughs> 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 I'm pretty sure I could hire someone to dress up like a magician. That's yeah, it's true. I mean, I mean, yeah. there is a certain there is a certain theming and a certain elegance to the Disney cruise ships, which are is not present across the entire Royal Caribbean line. I, I will say this. Uh, I think the Allure is the best ship I've ever been on. Um, I, it. yeah, uh, I haven't been on the eHarmony of the Seas yet, but uh, <laughs> uh, I imagine it's it's the same. You know, if you if you tell me an Oasis class ship versus the Dream and Fantasy, I can kind of see my way to rough equivalents there. Uh, you know, I kind of like the size of the the royal ships better. I like the restaurants and the bars. But you know, it's a wash, and then it really comes down to kids, right? But but let me let me, let me drop some other prices on you. Sure. Seven night Western Caribbean on Disney inside stateroom. Seven nights. Next June and seven. July. Seven nights. Seven nights. I'm going back. Well, the other one was at fifty four, right? That's yeah. what you said. Mm-hmm. Eleven. Eighty seven hundred. Eighty seven. Wow. Inside okay. cabin, no window. Nine grand, Matt. 
<laughs> if you wanted the window, wow. it's, 90, it's $9,300. Now, on Royal, if you wanted an yeah. inside cabin, instead of paying $8,700, you would pay $3,500. So you get $5,200 left over to, again, hire that magician to bring you all the magic. Yeah, well, magic. <laughs> in fact, I didn't, I, don't, I didn't even check this, and I should have. Because uh, the, the, the price of a, a Royal balcony is just under five grand. Call it five grand right there. How much do you think a concierge suite would be? It's got to be cheaper than $9,000. On Royal? Seven. Yeah. Yeah, it depends on the ship and, and sailing, but we've done it easily. I've never, I've stayed in a couple different suites that have been concierge. I don't know that we've gone above five figures, maybe like 10, you know, in the tens, but not, uh, and that's for four people. Yeah, so for four, yeah, for four people. Yeah. yeah, oftentimes though, it's it's for a grand suite, which is the first entry level full suite. The junior suite doesn't count. So it's just a yeah, junior uh, suite balcony. Could be, uh, could yeah. Be the right, but the but the grand suite, which is sky class, uh, in on the Oasis class ships. I mean, you're usually you're in the um, at the lowest probably seven, all the way up to maybe you know nine or something like that. But it's usually in the, in the ballpark of eights. So it's you know it's very affordable, I think, especially with some of the benefits, especially with children there. Um, you know it. You know, for that money, um, you could for, if you want the magic. I mean, you could just have you know Mangello come on the cruise with you, right, and pay right? him to come on board and, and say nice things about Disney the entire cruise, and it's like win win. It's it's just like being there. Yeah. The uh, <laughs> let's talk about the Alaska cruises because this is where the uh, the price differential is actually astounding. So the uh, seven eight Alaska cruise on Disney in a balcony suite. Again, you're you're traveling through some interesting territory. You probably want the window uh, there. Eleven thousand, uh, just under twelve thousand dollars for seven. Eleven thousand eight hundred eighty-one dollars on Royal. Matt, what was the price on the Disney one again? I'm sorry. Uh, eleven thousand eight, just eleven, uh, just twelve thousand dollars. Eleven thousand nine hundred. Yeah. Let's call. Yeah, call I'm going to go with fifty-four hundred. Fifty-nine hundred. Actually, for goodness, no. that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So basically, you know, six thousand dollars ish less, half the cost. So, uh, so the question then, and this is what I would what I would tell people. Uh, by the way, and by the way, this is round trip. This isn't Royals one way uh, cruises. So this is in and out of Seattle. Disney goes in and out of Vancouver. The question is: is would you rather have seven days, uh, seven nights in Alaska, or two cruises to Alaska on Royal? Because that's basically the the question. Actually, it's two cruises to Alaska on Royal and a thousand dollars left over. Right, and I I think I'm going to paraphrase something you had said. I think it was. I'm not sure if it was on the, this podcast or in the uh, in the unofficial guide to Disney Cruise Line, but you know, there's you can argue the Disney difference or what have you. But when you talk about thousands of dollars difference, and yep. in some cases we're talking, you know, this is many thousands of dollars difference. I'm not sure that you can really, uh, you know, justify that kind of price cost for it. Uh, you know, just simply for the brand, essentially, what you're paying yeah. for, and it's. Yeah. And one of the things I was, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going to get on my, my soapbox here. But I hope you don't mind. But one of the things you always, <laughs> but one of the things that I always say is that when you're talking about the difference between Disney Cruise Line and other cruises, cruise lines, is the the gap or the things that Royal or Disney does better or worse. It's very similar. They're very similar cruise experiences. There are things that Disney does better. There are things that Royal Caribbean does better. But at the end of the day, this isn't like the gap between a Walt Disney World vacation and a Six Flags vacation. No. It's a much, much narrower gap. And it's, I think, the cru- and when it comes to cruise line, I really, in my heart of hearts, as objectively as I can be, I feel like at the prices the Disney Cruise Line charges, you're paying for the name more so than many other things that you can qua- uh, quantify or qualify that, I should say. Yeah, for these, these destinations, Bahamas, Caribbean, even Alaska, even the Med, I mean, these are commodity destinations. They're served right. by a dozen cruise lines. They're all going to the same ports. They're frequently going to the same ports on the same day. You know, um, there's very little difference in the off ship experience on the ship. You know, I think the inside the cabins, they're they're roughly equivalent. Um, you know, I, I, I do think Disney has slightly better main dining room restaurants. Uh, Royal obviously has a much larger variety of of actual dining experiences. If I was on a seven night cruise, I would not want to go to the same three restaurants every night. But the you know, the thing with. And Disney has an advantage with the with the you know the kids clubs and the ability to keep your kids entertained. But one way to look at this is, you know, Disney's twice the price on Alaska. You could literally bring your in laws and pay for them, and have your in laws watch the kid. Or you could bring two Swedish au pairs with you, <laughs> and have them entertain your children. And it would be the same amount of money. That's that's a that's a difficult concept, right? To to yeah. to to it's a difficult hurdle to overcome, right? 
Can you get those on Amazon Prime, the au pairs? I, 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 you know, I don't know. I'll, I'll check, actually. It's uh, <laughs> Amazon.se, Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we ship there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The um, you know the final uh, the final destination was uh, was the Mediterranean. Actually, Disney's fairly competitive here. Um, an inside cabin is six grand for Royal. It's fifty four hundred. There's a six hundred dollar difference there. That's a that's a toss up. Uh, a toss up. You know, pick pick whichever one uh, uh, fits your particular schedule. And um, also, don't, don't forget, of course, that when you're talking about the Med, it's a very port intensive itinerary. Yeah, it's a port every day. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's it, you know, it, it's not it, at that point. It's not the ports because you're going to the ports. Uh, you're all going to the same ports. And it's it's really at that point about which brand you prefer. For uh, an outside uh, balcony uh, stay room, it's eighty three hundred dollars for Disney, seventy three hundred dollars for Royal. So you know, within within a grand there, but still a thousand dollars is a thousand dollars. Exactly. That's still that. I mean, a thousand dollars difference. Yeah, it's, it's a round trip airfare yeah. to Europe, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, for two people, yeah. So in, in general, though, across all of these analysis, the, the thing that we came up with was, uh, was this. If you were to take each of these cruises and each of these cabins, you would spend uh, just under – you'd spend $63,000 on Disney. You would spend $36,000 on Royal. So Disney is roughly 74% more expensive for the, uh, for the same destinations. It boggles my mind. I mean, look, if you want to spend your money, it's who am I to tell you how to do so? But, I mean, we're not talking about you know the difference between – you know, uh, IHOP and Waffle House here. We're talking about a no, 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 massive, no. yeah, you know, I mean, the other, massive. The other thing is, is that, you know, I mean, Disney ships are now, I mean, the newest one is what, five, six, five, six years old? Yeah. It's, it's and the, and the magic and, is, yeah, the fantasy, yeah. And the magic and the yeah. wonder are approaching 20. Mm-hmm. Those are, it's, those are, you know, I, I think the average lifetime of a ship in, in, uh, in its first line is what, 20, 25 years? So the magic and the wonder struggle, yeah. are getting to the end of their, over their serviceable life for Disney. I mean, they'll be sold off to, you know, to a, a down market uh, cruise line at some point because I don't think Disney's going to keep them running forever. But you've got to look at, you know, the stuff that, that Royal's doing with respect to, again, the allure of the your harmony where it's got better internet connections. It's got 20 restaurants. It's got, you know, uh, you know, bumper cars and things like that. And you've got to take those things into consideration when, when you're trying to determine uh, whether the 73, 74% additional cost is, uh, is worthwhile. Yeah, I'd be really interested to see also what Disney does next, especially if they're going to adopt other things like uh, an unlimited alcohol package, beverage packages in general. I know soda's included with uh, with Disney Cruise Line included, but uh, the, um, <laughs> you, you did air quotes there, didn't you? Air quotes right there. <laughs> it's free. Sorry, it's free. Yeah. Uh, that being said, the the two largest sources of revenue when you talk when you read through Royal Caribbean's earnings yeah. is on it was through onboard spending, and that's internet packages. And that's drink packages. It's just one and two. They're just they're 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 monsters in terms of what they generate. And however you want to look at it, I mean, at the end of the day, we all we know that Disney's all about making a dollar just as much as Royal Caribbean. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see if they if they go down that road because it has paid huge dividends for for Royal Caribbean over the last couple of years, and it's no secret. Oh, I would. I mean, I, I, Royals Internet connections and connectivity is second to none. I, I told you the story of me being in the middle of the Atlantic in a storm on the uh, on the Allure, and I was able to maintain a consistent high speed internet connection to Amazon virtual servers. I mean, it was it was literally <laughs> it was the most was the most technologically advanced I had ever felt. Like like one more step, and I was a cyborg. But it was <laughs> it's it's super speedy. It's super reliable. The thing that amazes me about Disney is they've they've known about inter, uh, Disney, uh, Royals internet capabilities for years, and they they're still essentially dial up modems that are very expensive. I, I'm surprised that they haven't upgraded that technology in any of these dry docks. And I, don't know, is it, I mean, is it satellite time that they're yeah, not getting? It's a different. It's a different satellite company altogether because traditional satellites, you know, obviously are, are high orbit, but these are low geosynchronous orbits. So instead of blanketing the the Caribbean, they follow the ship literally like a beam, a direct beam. So there's more bandwidth there. It was designed to provide internet to a um, uh, places in that, like Africa that don't really have access to high speed internet. Mm-hmm. But this is uh, but this is a venue that's this company's called O3B Networks, and they, they launch their own satellites. So. Unless something's changed, I'm not aware of any other company that has that kind of technology because they're still using the the old style of like you know blanketing an area and and just doing it that way. But yeah, I'm kind of surprised there hasn't been more of a catch up because you're right. I mean, it's not only is it is it great for money, it's great for the guests. There, they they enjoy being able to watch Netflix oh, yeah. while at sea, no, or I, you know, 
I could I could stream YouTube videos in the middle of the Atlantic. I mean, what? Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> so so Matt, is this a, an exclusive arrangement that Royal has with uh with a, a satellite provider? It seems that way. When they first launched, that definitely seemed to be the case. I don't know how long the deal is or what the what the, the odds are. I mean, if I was Royal Caribbean, I'd be buying up the company at this point. Yeah, because right. I mean, it's yeah. been like, you know, this just makes total sense for them in the similar in the same way that Disney just invested in, in uh ML Bam. We're getting really inside baseball here, but um you know <laughs> literally like, you inside know. baseball, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> that was no pun intended, but you know, the metaphor works. And yeah. the, but this is not you know, this is something that they've really been able to capitalize because no other cruise line has been able to. The closest other cruise lines do is they invest in a technology that allows them to have high speed internet while in port and surrounding areas, kind of like cell towers. Yeah, kind of thing, but then there's gaps in the, in the in the coverage it's, if you go out, you know, between long distances. So it, it just yeah. hasn't been there. I'm, the other thing that that is surprising is that Disney hasn't figured out that high speed internet allows people to use social media on board to show their people back home all the great things they're doing on the ship. Like, dude, it's it's free advertising. You're basically putting satellites into space so that your customers can do free advertising for you. How, how does that not work? Right? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, you know what? I, I might almost say that should be like a Mythbusters episode. Does that really – or I'm not sure if it doesn't work. Does, do they – I don't want to say they don't care, but how much of a how much of a role does that play? Because I agree with you in that, from that standpoint. I mean the best thing you can do from advertising is to have someone do a Facebook Live like, hey, mom, dad, cousins who aren't on this cruise and haven't considered a cruise yet. Look how yeah. much fun we're having. Wish you were here. Oh, we should do it next year. You know, like that's yeah. like – probably how most family vacations begin right somebody does it they see somebody do it and they're like hmm, i would love to do that with my family as well yeah but on on and you've been on disney cruise with the the low, slow upload speeds how many times have you taken a great picture thought oh i'll share this on social media then said ah forget about it when you realize that it's three and a half minutes to upload your you know your yeah. your photo to twitter you just don't do it you just don't do it no it's like the old you know when i was a kid and we were download photos not certainly family-friendly photos on the internet it'd be like one line at a time almost like a daisy wheel printer you know like here it comes here it comes exactly no keep going it's yeah. uh you know it's i i it boggles my mind i mean there's got to be a business reason for it but uh, or you hope that's the reason you hope that's the rationale someone says it's not available or it's too expensive i don't yeah. know but you would you would hope that'd be the case and not that they're just you know someone just literally dropped the ball on this so I do expect uh, the next set of uh, Disney cruise ships, the three that are coming out in what 2021, 2022, 2023. By the way, uh, by the way, when will your kids go off to college? Is it 2023? <laughs> <laughs> on that one, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, yeah. There's got to be some kind of a way in order to, yeah. Oh man, well, we're gonna have free college by then, right? Yeah, right. I'm sure. I'm sure they will. I'm sure we will. So you know, by by that time, you know, uh, we've heard that. Disney's cruise ships will be powered by liquid natural gas, right? There's, uh, that's the, I think everyone, everyone understands that, that that's what happened. That's, a, that's what's going to happen. I think there's a liquid natural gas storage facility being built at Port Canaveral for not only them, but for, I think Royals moving yeah, in this direction too. Royals doing that too. Yep. Yeah. And, and, they're, and these ships, uh, the interesting thing about that is that these ships will generally have to stay relatively close to these liquid natural gas facilities because it's uh, the infrastructure for resupplying them isn't quite as diverse as it is for regular diesel fuel. The other interesting thing that I've heard as a, a possible rumor for the Disney ships is uh, this concept of a uh, tender garage at the stern of the ship. Have you seen, have you heard of this? A tender garage? No. Yeah. So imagine a, your, your garage on a house, right? Sure. And imagine, imagine a garage on the back lower part of a ship. and But when it opens, instead of showing cars, it has smaller boats that you could use. So one example of using these smaller boats might be if you're going to a very small island, which uh, for you know environmental or logistical reasons doesn't have a big dock sure. that the that a large ship could pull up against. You would take the smaller ship out and you know ferry people back and forth. But the other interesting thing you can do with this is, and this is the idea that I've heard floated, is you could stock like thirty or forty jet skis on there, and on your sea day, uh, simply idle the ship or have it circle. Uh, while guests rent jet skis and drive out around in the open ocean, around the ship, what could possibly go wrong with that? But no, I, but I, but here's the here's the thing: is it uh, allows you to do shore excursions with no shore. Hmm. 
Yeah, it's an interesting that, idea. Right, that, that gives – yeah, because that way that that also so- solves the uh, – no pun intended – the larger issue happening with the cruise industry, which is with bigger and bigger ships and and smaller ships retiring or, or being mm-hmm. sold off is that you have you lose access to certain ports that are just not going to be able to be changed right. regardless. Venice, right. I mean, no, right. no big ships are going into Venice anymore, right? Yeah, so – Right, and this allows big ships to go anywhere essentially. Yeah, and if you think of um, – we, I talked about this on the show with Jim, but if you think about how uh, cruise lines use their private islands, especially in the Caribbean, they're generally signing uh, 99-year leases to rent very large islands, 1,000 acres or so. I think uh, Castaway Key is like 1,100. I don't know what the, the sizes of uh, Royals uh, islands are. Do you? I don't know off the top but, of my head, no. They're fairly big. Well, here's the interesting thing. So if you look at the uh, the projections for sea level rise over the next 100 years, basically when when Disney's leases uh, for uh, Castaway Key and whatever island they pick next, if you look at those um, those projected sea level rises, the median value is somewhere around a meter, a little more than three feet. But the upper end of the estimates is that sea, level ri- will ri- sea levels will rise um, just over two meters, a little bit more than six feet. Guess how high up off the ground or off of sea level Castaway Key is, Matt? Three feet? Six. Six. <laughs> so, so there's an outside chance that by the end of Disney's lease of Castaway Key in the Bahamas, the entire island will be underwater. Disney wow. is, is clearly looking at those things when, before they sign the next, and I'm sure Royal Caribbean is too, right? Before they sign the next 100-year lease, they want to make sure that that island will actually exist in 100 years. Wow. Now, the problem is, is there actually aren't that many islands in the Caribbean higher than six feet larger than a thousand acres and also that are close enough to a major metropolitan center where you could get people back and forth to staff the island. Well, so the good news is they'll spend far less gas getting from point A to point B because there's all these dumb islands in the middle. They'll be able to get just you know, <laughs> <laughs> very direct routes. Do you remember when Cuba was here? All right, kids, look overboard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, that's some interesting stuff too. But uh, you know, all, all the stuff that Disney uh, Disney has to consider with its uh, with its next group of ships, and its next group of uh, of islands, and, and your royal too. Yeah, it's it's a good data, and I appreciate you sharing it with us. And if you enjoy this kind of information, if you like this analytical approach to cruising and whatnot, I do highly recommend the unofficial guide to Disney Cruise Line. Now, the current edition is twenty seventeen. When does twenty eighteen come out? It should come out in December, so you can pre order it uh, within a couple couple weeks. Yeah. But there's some really good information. Even if you don't cruise Disney, there's great port information in there. And uh, I, you know, just that alone is, is really interesting to be able to pick up, especially if you're going to a new port. I just like it's good excursion information. And it's there's a lot of just general advice about cruising and packing, paying for the cruise that is universal, quite honestly. So check it out. We'll post a link in our show notes to the uh, to the link so you can pick that up. It's uh, pretty cheap and uh, about less than ten dollars on Amazon right now. So. Not bad. Unless, unless you instill the price integrity policy, and then the price will only go up <laughs> from here. It's only going to go up from now on. <laughs> I'm going to start doing this just that. That's great. <laughs> nice. Well, Len, thank you so much for joining us here and talking Royal Caribbean with, or cruising in general, but Royal Caribbean with us also. I mean, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man. Once again, it's time to answer your listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I read emails that many of you have sent in with questions, comments, something on your mind, their mind about Royal Caribbean cruises. And of course, you can always do so by sending an email to Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Our first email this week comes to us from Jane Treppa, a.k.a. Mom to My Bugs from Chicago, Illinois. Wanted to thank you for all the podcasts and blogs. Your site has given me a wealth of knowledge, and I love the great community on the message boards and on Periscope. The blog keeps me from getting too sad for my next cruise. Is it for another 250 days? I just became a Real Caribbean blog insider today and look forward to supporting the blog in a very small way. Well, Jay, first of all, thank you for becoming an insider. That means a lot. And, of course, if you're wondering, what the heck is an insider, Matt? It's somebody who donates to RealCaribbeanBlog.com. In fact, you can donate as little as $1 a month. And in exchange for your donation, not only do you get to support the wonderful podcasts and blog content and everything else that we do here at RealCaribbeanBlog.com, but you get some pretty cool rewards as well. It kind of varies on the level you donate at. And if you want more information about how you can become an insider, go to RealCaribbeanBlog.com slash support. RealCaribbeanBlog.com slash support. Now, Jane keeps writing here, uh, I've listened to many of the old podcasts and wondered if you've ever considered doing a series on the embarkation ports in the U.S. I've loved cruising out of Tampa, and I was able to figure out Port Canaveral, but Fort Lauderdale had just been overwhelming for me. I'm trying to figure out the best hotel for a one day before and one day after, things to do in Fort Lauderdale, best restaurants, etc. I know that everyone has different expectations in terms of cost, etc., but any recommendations would be great. 
Jane, great suggestion. We probably should start doing like, you know, episode by episode, just dedicate to one port and kind of go through the whole thing there, especially the ones here in North America that I can, I think I can speak to most of all, at least the most popular ones. Anyway, Fort Lauderdale, actually Fort Lauderdale, I find is one of the easier ones to manage simply because Port Everglades, which is the port in Fort Lauderdale, is uh, very convenient. It's like across the street from the airport. Very, probably the easiest airport to port transfer you're ever going to find. I mean, it's literally across the street. You can't walk. Unfortunately, there's a lot of barriers and highways in the way, but trust me when I say it, it's extremely close. It's just the, the car ride is a is is just a, a trivial part of the whole process. But when you're talking about a hotel before and what to do uh, in Fort Lauderdale and whatnot, you know, Fort Lauderdale, while you may look at Fort Lauderdale as the city to visit, obviously you're so close to some, lots of other things in South Florida. You have Miami, which is, I don't know, 30 minutes away, depending on traffic. You've got the Everglades. You've got the Florida Keys, if you really want to go crazy and add on to your vacation. Uh, there, there's lots of things to do in South Florida, so don't limit yourself just to Fort Lauderdale. Now, where to stay? You're looking at a lot of different hotels. I think the most popular one is the Embassy Suites in uh, in Fort Lauderdale. It's actually Dania Beach. D-A- I always mispronounce that, so if I mispronounce it again, sorry. Dania Beach? Dania Beach? Dania Beach, I think is how it's said. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is that when you see it, that's what that means. And it's the area literally close to the ocean, and it's the part of Fort Lauderdale that's close to the port. You can stay almost anywhere. I remember when I did two non-consecutive Harmony of the Seas cruises last year, I had like a couple-day gap in the middle, and I stayed in North Fort Lauderdale, a.k.a. also Pompano Beach. And it was very convenient. I mean, we're talking, you know, I was maybe... 20 minutes away by my my car rental from the port. So, you know, really not that difficult to get around. And even if you're willing to, uh, you know, travel a little bit, you got to save a lot of money. A lot of the hotels that are near the port are very convenient, uh, but you're going to be paying a little bit more for that convenience. And if you're willing to stay 30 to 60 minutes away, in fact, if you're willing to stay 60 minutes or more away, you know, maybe an hour, an hour and a half away, you can really save some money there because there's far less demand for those hotels. But it's up to you what your budget is and a lot of other factors involved. But there's a lot. So what I'm trying to say is don't just limit yourself to the area surrounding the port. That's certainly the most common place to start your search. But you can find a lot of great values. One of my favorite hotels, if you want to stay close to the port, is the Cambria Inn and Suites in Fort Lauderdale. It's right near the airport, and it's probably 10 minutes maybe from Port Everglades. Uh, the Embassy Suites, as I mentioned, is, is quite popular. And there's a lot of other great choices. I mean, you're you're really in a in a hotbed of hotels, tourist area, business travel, so there's a lot to choose from. In terms of what to do, um, there's a lot of things happening in Fort Lauderdale and around there. Probably the most popular thing to do in Fort Lauderdale as a tourist is Los Al Los Olas Boulevard, L-O-S space O-L-A-S Boulevard. It is a, it's like the main drag in Fort Lauderdale. It's great for shopping, walking around. It's, it's, if you've got an evening to spend in Fort Lauderdale, this is the place to go. There's lots of restaurants, lots of shopping. Definitely a thing to do. Of course, you've got Miami really close by. It's very easy to get there. And you've got Miami Beach. You've got Miami itself. I mean, there's cultural, there's history, there's baseball. There's, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on there. So it really depends on what you're looking to do, quite honestly. And a lot of people just say, you know what, man, I just want to do the beach day. And there's plenty of great beaches around there. Again, Miami Beach, South Beach. You've got uh, Fort Lauderdale is really well known for its beaches as well. It, there's a lot of good choices is what I'm trying to say. So don't limit yourself. That's the bottom line. But it's a good question, Jane. Thank you for sending it in there. And I think uh, we will have to start going, doing more in-depth talking about each particular port. Next, we have an email from Pascal and Sarah Everett. Who says, you totally ruined our vacation. Your device couldn't have been any more wrong. We are utterly disappointed. A cruise from hell. Dot, 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 is not what we want to tell you. Of course, we were just kidding, and by now we have your attention. And hopefully a smile on your face as you now learn that my wife and I are an avid podcast listener and love to read your blog in preparing for our next Royal Korean adventure. We're only su- we are some of the only Royal Korean fans in the teeny tiny country of Luxembourg in Europe. The cruise so far has never met anyone from our country. Here's some feedback on our latest cruise on Jewel the Seas in Europe sailing the Eastern Med. Most important thing first, yes, there were roast beef sandwiches on board, and this despite the absence of Park Cafe. Wow, they served them in the Solarium Cafe that uses the identical space that Park Cafe occupies on the other Radiance-class ships, only without the tasty made-to-order bagels in the morning. But hey, we had Kemalwick sandwiches, so we can't complain. They also serve pizza, pepperoni please, and other great sandwiches and wraps. You can't ever find it on deck plans, but it was our go-to snack destination, especially since it opened real, stayed open really late, often until 3 a.m. There were Coca-Cola freestyle machines on board, surprising for us considering the Jewel sales Europe for half the year. 
Before the cruise, I searched for recent Jewel of the Seas cruise compasses. I couldn't find any, so I decided to bring them all home and share them with you so I can upload them to the blog, and I will send it to you after this email. The new room service menu was a bit disappointing, not as much as the cost of the food quality offered. Some items are fine, but others leave room for improvement. Service wasn't much quicker either. We knew it in advance, but still want to lament too many port days. We didn't have enough time to enjoy the ship in our vacation. Two days, two sea days in only in a nine-night cruise. We won't repeat that. Also, for Europeans, the Mediterranean gets boring after a while. I mean, but it was very nice. We, sk- we skipped two ports, rented cars and all the others, and enjoyed drifting a dune buggy around the island of Santorini. Unfortunately, Royal Caribbean no longer offers cruises to South America, so we had to reserve. Uh, so we had to reserve one on Celebrity for 2019, which you can do at the next cruise office. Forgot if this question was from a listener had been answered before. Looking forward to our Harmony of the Seas cruise in November after Trans-Pacific on Radiance of the Seas, a reservation on a cruise on Ovation in Asia that unfortunately ended up getting chartered and thus canceled. And after this newest Mediterranean escapade on another Radiance-class ship, we are so ready for the big ships. Love to lure, and so we will adore Harmony, especially with the ultimate dining package in our mind and palate as our artfully woven daily food schedule will stuff us foodies to new latitudes. But more about that in December when we come back. Thank you for all the hard work informing all of us. Checking multiple times per hour my RSS feeder app for new content, even though I know that it's nighttime in Florida. And sorry for the shock at the beginning. Many greetings from Luxembourg. Pascal and Sarah, that is an awesome email. Thank you for sharing your feedback on Jewel the Sea, especially selling the the med. It's a great uh, opportunity, and I know that you uh, some really good feedback, I think, for folks who are looking forward to it. I mean, I think that oh, my takeaways from it, if you've never done the med, then obviously it's really beautiful. Your, your complaint was it's too beautiful. It's so beautiful. We do it all the time. Thus, we're kind of getting sick of it. But hey, that's a good problem to have, right? You're, you're kind of getting sick of something that's really, really cool there. But I was really surprised to hear about the fact they have Solarium Cafe, not Park Cafe. It's the same difference, right? It's just a name. And of course, them having, Jewel Disease having the, the soda machines on there, the Coca-Cola freestyle machines, it kind of makes sense because, of course, Jules, up until very recently, was based round, year-round, rather, in San Juan, Puerto Rico, and ships that were basically based around the United States all year-round would still have them, so, you know, I'm pleasantly surprised to hear that they still have those Coca-Cola freestyle machines on board. Good stuff all around. Thank you for sharing that, and yeah, I'm pretty sure you're our first and maybe only listeners from Luxembourg. Love that. And next, we have an email from... Brian from uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, a.k.a. Lindy Large on Twitter and Periscope. Matt, just want to say thank you for all the work you've done with your site, podcast, and blogs. I found you about a month ago as I started researching our family vacation next summer. I've made it through roughly half your podcast and hope to catch up on all of them by the end of the summer. I'm excited to tell you that with all the ammo you provided, I was finally able to convince my wife, a loyal Carnival brand cruiser, to cross over. I just booked our first family cruise with Royal Caribbean next summer on Allure of the Seas. I also convinced a group of friends and family to come along, and now we have a block of eight rooms for our trip. I'd love to do a review of the trip with you for the podcast down the line if your schedule permits. Of course, Brian, when you get back from your cruise, please uh, send me an email. Brian writes, I have a question for you. Do you recommend purchasing as many things as possible, like specialty drink and dining packages or excursions, etc., in advance of the trip? I noticed on the last cruise with Princess, the prices of shore excursions were higher on the ship than they were available for pre-purchase. I don't know if, remember if Royal Caribbean does that since I haven't sailed with them since 2003. I wouldn't mind saving a few bucks at the total bill, even if it means putting more money up front. Thanks again. I look forward to interacting with you and the rest of the group through your various platforms. P.S. My wife has already started referring to the Windjammer as the Windjammer, so thanks for that. <laughs> Love it. My work here is done. So to answer your question, should you book as many things as possible before your cruise? And I generally do believe that. Yes, I have become a major fan of it, Brian. Primarily, number one reason why I like it, it helps break apart the total cost of the cruise. I just remember you for years, many, many years. I, we would go on these cruises, have a wonderful time. But inevitably, that last day of the, of the cruise, when we disembarkation day, we get the bill and I was always like, Oh my gosh, it just kills me because you know, we buy drinks, you do shore excursions. Uh, you know, you, you buy gifts for the kids. There's the, the spending you're going to do at adventure ocean or in the nursery. And it all adds up. And quite honestly, I, I'm one of those people that feels that it's easier financially to take little hits here and there than take one big hit, right? It's, it just messes up everything financially anyway. And so I'm, I've become a really big fan of the pre-purchase options. So that, Number one, that's a big advantage in my opinion. Number two, and more objectively, yes, there are some things that are discounted before the cruise, namely the drink packages. Sometimes you'll find cruise planner sales. Brian, you may have seen on the blog, we've posted about that in the past, where you know certain certain items in the cruise planner, be it a drink package, be it a shore excursion, 
uh, you know, being an onboard experience is discounted and thus will definitely save you money. I think in general, you're best off, if you're going to book it, book it in advance. Take advantage of the cruise planner. You know, the, the dining packages seem to be about the same they offer on board the ship. The only difference is it just saves you time. You know, not only is it easier to pay off in when you're spreading out these payments, but also you're spending less time on board the ship. You're not standing in line for a drink package. You're not standing in line for, you know, to, to buy the dining package. You're not standing in line to at the shore excursion desk, which arguably I think is one of the longest lines you're going to run into on board your ship, depending on when you go. But... You know, I, I think from a convenience factor, it's way easier to do it online. So to answer your question, Brian, yes, I do recommend purchasing as many things as possible before your trip. As it just it, it's, it adds to convenience once you're on board. It makes your life easier financially. And in a lot of cases, not all cases, but in many cases, it will save you money. I really feel like at least these days, that's the way to go. So there you go. Good question, uh, Brian. I appreciate listening in here. Our next email is from Emma Smith, who writes, Hello, Emma from Perth, Western Australia. Thank you for your amazing blog, which has been huge help planning our first cruise later this year on Explorer of the Seas. A question from a cruise novice. How do we make the most of sail away on our first night if we are part of the first dinner sitting? Uh dinner sitting. Yeah, I said that right. Sorry. <laughs> I think we were scheduled to depart around 6.30 p.m. and Sydney Harbor is just too amazing to miss. I know we could opt for the Windjamer or especially restaurant that night, but seeing as it's my just my young daughter and I cruising, we want to get settled in the main dining room and get to know our table buddies. What's your tip? P.S. Great idea for the blog themed beer koozies, which in Australia we call a stubby holder. My husband has about 50 of them. I have no idea those called that. Interesting. Emma, appreciate the email. Thank you for the question. So, First night, you want to be able to do the main dining room, but still have sail away. And if you're scheduled to sail away at 6.30, that's like smack dab right there. I mean, you're either going to dinner or you're going to be at dinner at that point. That's really tough um, because I don't know that you can have your cake and eat it too in this situation. I think you're going to have to compromise. And you mentioned two options, of course, especially restaurants, going to the Windjamere. Um there's, there's just no way around it. I mean, if you've got sail away during your dining time and you want to be in the main dining room, something's got to give. Uh, my only suggestion would be that you could step out for, you know, from dinner. If you're, let's say, I don't know what time your dinner is at. If it's at six and sail away six thirty, you, know, you could step out for a second and then say, you know, excuse us, we're going to step out for a couple minutes to go watch the sail away. But the reality of sail away is like a twenty to thirty minute ordeal, and you know, at least, and stepping away for that long is a bit. Um, unconventional and I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. So I think if you really want to do the main dining room, I think you're going to have to bite the bullet and 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 skip sail away. It's, I, I know it's your first cruise and I totally get the sail away thing. I mean, I've done it so many times that I wouldn't bother me as much. And unfortunately, like in the United States, you would have run into this issue in most cases I can think of because in the United States, they leave, you know, usually you're sailing away around, oh, I don't know, you know, around four o'clock. So give or take, you know, 30 to 60 minutes. So you have plenty of time to sail away and then come back into the dining room. So um, unfortunately, I don't know that it'll work out for you if you wanted to do both. My recommendation is if sail away is that important to you, then you should obviously skip dinner in the main dining room. Come back on the rest of the other nights. I mean, you know, if you're eating there on, you know, seven, and if you're on a seven-night cruise, six nights is not bad. I mean, I think most people, it's, you know, take a break here or there. So I don't know that's the worst thing that can happen, uh, but I'm just trying to, th- it's really going to come down to, honestly, Emma, which is more important to you, sail away or the main dining room experience, because there's no way you can really do both given your sail away time and given your dining time, just you can't be in two places at once. Um, the best you could hope for, the only thing I can think of, honestly, would be that if you had a uh, your table in the mid dining room was by the window, and then you could watch it from there. Uh-huh. Kind of a comp- best compromise I can think of, but that's assuming that you're going to get a table there. I mean, you could go on on the embarkation day and speak to the main dining room waiter, who there's usually a head waiter on duty in the afternoon prior to sail away and you can make requests like that like hey can i get moved to a table that has a view of the of the ocean you know just a windows a table um, and if there's availability they're usually pretty flexible on that they can make that happen so that's the only compromise i can think of otherwise i think you're gonna have to pick one or two i know it's not the answer you're looking for emma but uh, it's, uh, it's a tough situation my if it were me and if main if sailway is that important to you because it's your first cruise then yeah skip the main dining room go to i would book a specialty restaurant that night or just wind jammer it up and then come back later and, and kind of make it all work. But to each their own. I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't fault you one way or the other. It's, it's a really tough, tough situation. 
Our last email of the day is coming to us from D. Walker. Hi, Matt. I'm a faithful listener of your podcast and a regular on your website. Me and my family are going on a nine-night cruise on Anthem of the Seas at the end of September. I was wondering what tips you give me about this Canada-New England itinerary. I'm very excited. I just wanted to know what are some do's and don'ts for this itinerary. Any information would help. Thanks. Keep up the great work and enthusiasm. Great questions. Being able to see Canada and or New England and going usually in the fall. That means you've got fall foliage potentially going on there. It's a wonderful time of year. I grew up in Connecticut, which is obviously New England. And while not a port stop for you, it is a beautiful area of the country. I love that time of year, especially in, in fall, late fall. So in general, a couple things. Number one, pack layers of clothing especially when you're on shore excursions. The weather in New England and Canada this time of year can fluctuate greatly. It could snow, not likely, especially in New England, but you never know. It certainly can get brisk, and I definitely recommend packing almost like you do for an Alaska cruise, you know, jeans, T-shirts, but also hoodies, and even a, even a medium to heavy jacket would not be unheard of. It's just, it's it's hard to handicap, so you just basically want to be able to have layers you can either easily peel off something or put something back on. If uh, In terms of, you know, what people think about when, what are we going to do in port, obviously nature is the heart of it, right? Seeing the full foliage, but there's a lot more to really see and do in New England. I mean, it's a great wine-producing region, so you definitely can make day trips out of visiting that. You've got a lot of cultural activities, museums especially, really great. And, of course, just driving around and taking it all in. I mean, there's lots of great restaurants and, and hot spots around there. I definitely think that... When you're depending on the port you're visiting, I mean, it, there's there's so many great things. I mean, obviously, you know, if you're going to Boston, man, Boston is a is a major city, tons of history. I think you have to do a lot of history when you're in Boston. There's just a lot to enjoy there. Bar Harbor, you're going to Acadia National Park, almost more than likely. That's what a lot of people do there. Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is uh, Nova Scotia's capital. There's a lot of great stuff. There's great. There's a maritime museum, which I'm told is very very nice. Uh, there's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Peggy's Cove, which has got that scenic lighthouse. I think with a lot of these places, whether you're talking about, you know, Quebec or you're talking about Boston, Bar Harbor, Halifax, you're really taking it all in. You're doing a little potpourri, touring around, and uh, that there's a lot to see both history, culturally, and gastronomically, also most important. Take advantage of that food. Uh, get some good Italian food in Boston. Get some fresh seafood in maybe Newport or, or Halifax. You know, take advantage of it. In Quebec, obviously some great French pastries. Ugh. Now I'm hungry. What a great option to round out this podcast on because now I can go get something to eat after this. I appreciate everybody hanging out with us, talking Royal Caribbean here on the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. And, of course, we welcome your emails as well. So send me an email, matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com to send me an email, and we'll read it right here. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again very soon. <laughs>